right, and we're go. Happy Friday. It is Friday, and it's beautiful. And it, um... Beautiful, sunny, probably about, what, 50? Yeah, uh, maybe. Might be up to 50 now. Nice. Yeah, might snow tomorrow. Go figure. Yeah, I know. That's Ohio weather for you. <laughs> so we got Elizabeth back. Yeah, any minute now. Cool. So we busted out the Unamonic on a Friday, and ha, we're drinking Roma Bionda. Yeah. Lighthearted, romantic, milk chocolate basil licorice. This is going to put us as lighter. Yes, the mm. light roast, I guess. Wonderful. Rheumatic hot. Do not spill on the computer. No. Oh, Lord. There we go. This is your new computer? This is my new one, yeah. Okay, so the other one um, went to grab my water bottle, slipped, splashed the tiniest bit of water on it. Boom. Done. Well, that smells good. Yeah. This is nice. This is good coffee. The basil. Mm. You want some squirty cream or something? Mm. Let's do it alone first. Oh, gotta let it cool. Yeah, it's really hot in there. Mm. <clears throat> All right, so I got, I don't know, I got nothing to talk about. <laughs> any oh, Any lobby time? Lobby. <laughs> uh, it's okay. That's what editing is for. Yeah, for real. You zip that down real quick. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> um, had good training week. Hmm. Uh, I had a light training week. Uh, kept it light. I yeah. need to. I think I'm ready to do a new phase. Going to revamp some things. Nice. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Um, it's, what yep. did I do this week? That's her. Cool. Hey. Did that work? It works. Hello. Yeah. What's up? So good. Wait, you're still there, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, we're yeah. here. Okay, sweet. Sorry, the dog was running around and being a nutso. So I had to <laughs> wrangle her a little bit. It's okay. Well, thanks for being on again. Yeah, how are you? Of course, I'm great. Thank you. How about you guys? Oh, doing well. It's uh like 50, 50 degrees in Ohio, so we're we're happy. All right. Yeah, I would say so. You want you want to come up here and be on a podcast, love? Come here. <laughs> um, we're gonna see if she allows this. Okay, you come here. We have a conversation on the podcast. Let's see how. Oh, this works. She might just curl up. <laughs> um, That's your French bulldog? Yeah. <laughs> she is a... How do I phrase this? Um, she is needy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are, there, there are very many places for her to sit or lay. And yet, if she's not on a lap, she is completely unhappy. Right. So she's a, a toddler. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. Mm. Pretty much. She is very snuggy. I have a Pomeranian who's much the same. Really? Oh, yeah. It's just like, okay, there is no independence. It's no. fine. I don't mind it. It's just sometimes very hard to type when she wants access to both of my hands. Right. Mm. I got to type with your feet. Yes, I need New to skills. learn that. Yeah. Who is the painter that painted with the brush in his mouth? Oh, I know who you're uh, talking about. I can't think of his name. Um, he was paralyzed. But he was um, right mouthed. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I saw him on the Today Show or something once. Oh, and he, he said about that. Yeah. Meaning he had to use the paintbrush out the right side of his mouth to have more control? Yes. <laughs> Brad? No. It's going to drive me nuts. What is his name? I'll have to look it up and link it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You totally so hopefully there'll be no uh, like internet interruptions today. Oh right, there was a storm last time. Yeah, there was a storm this time too. So uh, kind of. No. <laughs> no, no. So it's nice out right now, but it's gonna snow tomorrow. So never know what that brings. Uh -oh. Yeah, I've also discovered that. Um, the internet doesn't work in my kitchen, but it works oh. in my living room. 30 feet away. Yeah, it's the same room. It's the same it's, room. It's the same room. It there really is. Yeah, so. An invisible force field. Yeah, so we're That's in the living amazing. room today. Yeah. I love it. Mm. I totally love uh, it. We're drinking, drinking the, <laughs> the Beyonder? Yeah, Roma Beyond. Roma Beyond. Yay! Super I good. could drink an entire pot of that. It's maybe my favorite. I haven't tried this one so far. There's something. I mean, I granted, I'm, I'm a fan of all of them, um, but there's something about that one that's like, one more, please. Oh, oh, yeah. one more, please. Oh, there's no more. Oh, let's make some more. <laughs> <laughs> Another pot. Mm -hmm. no, that's a good. It's a good one. I don't normally like um, light roasts, and I really do like this one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's people always think that light roast means weak coffee. Mm. And that that is not like coffee being weak or strong is essentially how many times or how long it's been steeped or like how many times it's cycled through and how long the coffee extraction time is the technical term for it, like how long the coffee touches the grounds. Mm -hmm. That's what makes coffee weak or strong. But the, the roast can be a strong or like a bold or a lighter blend or, or roast, right? And then, and then there's the blend, which is, you know, another step yet. So it's interesting. People constantly say like, oh, I don't like light coffee. And what they mean is I don't like weak coffee. Light mm -hmm. roast coffee isn't less flavorful. It's just not the punch in the face of a darker roast, right? So it's... Mm -hmm. It's interesting. People say things and actually mean something quite different. So. Sure. Well, at least that's what I found. Uh, the first light roast I ever had was from Starbucks. Mm. So I think I started off with a low bar. 
Well, <laughs> can only go I up mean, from there. <laughs> well, but so judging Starbucks and any coffee roaster who produces that much, it's really hard to quality control. And so often it just ends up being burnt. But interestingly, their light roast coffee tastes more like regular coffee just because it's not burnt coffee <laughs> mm-hmm. to oh, me okay. anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to each of them. I try not to comment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, put you in a hard place. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. It's all good. So, um, I don't know. I don't know where to start. I've been talking to you so much lately that I don't I know. know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, where do you guys want to start? Like, what, how do you want to do this? Because there are so many ways, but I, I mean, you tell me what you think is most useful, fun. Insert your favorite adjective here. I mean, I've been on the outside of the Brave Conversations thing, so like, you guys could walk through a little bit of what you guys have been talking about, maybe talk about yeah. a little bit of the framework or something like that. Totally. Sure. Um, okay, so higher level, all of this, and so I'm, I will not go into the all of the rookie science, though I feel like you guys probably like it. Um, oh, we love it. Yeah. <laughs> higher level, this, like, we were never. We were never taught how to listen. And anytime we talk about effective communication, it's always about the words we say. And that is not insignificant, but it's only, I mean, 7% of the story. Um, So, I mean, I guess I can start there. So 7% of communication is actually the words that we say. Um, 35% of communication is the tone that we use and it's kind of like people don't care what you say it's how you say it that the how you say it is partially that 35 percent, and the rest of how you say it is facial expression and body language and so 53 percent of communication no 55 percent. sorry more than half is not what you're saying or even how you sound saying it it's what your face and body are doing also And so what that is, is essentially how, also how you're listening, because it, 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 I mean, your face and body, it's, it's when you're talking, but knowing that how you're listening and the fact that people are playing off of you, people are feeling things based on your state while you're talking, like you can shut people down or make them feel safe in a conversation just based on what your face is doing. Um, and we so often don't take that into consideration. Um, and so the Brave Framework is really taking you through a roadmap of what to do when you're in conversation with someone and how to listen. Um, because it's just not something that we ever have been taught. Um, so I'll, I'll just start with the B. Um, the B stands for be present. And although that sounds really easy, right? It's like, of course I'm present. I'm not anywhere else. I'm right here. Um, what it actually represents more so is when someone shares something with us and, you know, and it's something that's challenging or any anytime someone says like, you know, I had a hard day. The first thing you want to do is make that pain stop, right? Like you want to take it away. You want to come to their aid. 
you know, you, you want to make them feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. And I use those words specifically, you want to make them feel better. You want to make them feel something differently than what they are feeling. Right. So there's a part of it that's ego. Maybe that's like, I really like, you know, maybe, maybe you're, of course you're not thinking this, like I want to be the hero. Right. But it does feel like I want to be useful. I want to fix this problem for them. I've been through that before and here's what I did kind of a thing. Um, and although our intentions are so, so good, what that does to someone neurologically is it sends a message. And that message is, you can't do this without me. You need me. Hmm. So I'm going to tell you what to do. And from the perspective of building confidence, it's perhaps the worst thing you could do. Um, and so what it actually does is it robs you, it robs that other person of their path to resilience and their path to resilience, essentially like there's a challenge that I'm experiencing and walking through that challenge, you know, getting back up when I'm knocked down, that's what makes me know who I am and what I can hold and what I can rise from. Right. Like confidence comes from combat. Right. So, so it's, it's allowing that other person, like, I mean, you've probably heard, like, you've got to let the kid fall down. Like you've got to let the kid learn their lessons because mm -hmm. if you just protect them, you mean well, but they're, they're always going to need you. They're never going to feel like I can do that. I have agency. I, I have like the capacity to actually do this and succeed. Um, and so the way that we describe it in brave is the best thing you can do neurologically for someone is just witness them, be there, don't judge them, witness them, be there in support if they need it, but don't assume they need support. Just assume they need your presence. Mm -hmm. um, and it's there's science around someone witnessing us going through that hard journey actually makes our brains perceive the journey as a bit easier than if we were by ourselves. Um, and so it's it's partially due to the, the overarching thought of Brave is we need to create safety and we don't know how. And the, the cool term in the past you know few years has been psychological safety. I used to call it neurological safety. It, it's the same thing. Um, psychological sounds more like psychology. And to me, this is more neuro, like this is more brain science, which it's, it's all the same, right? But it, I, I think of it sort of differently because our brains secrete different hormones based on how we're feeling. And when you're feeling safe, you actually have access to all of your brain. And when you don't feel safe is when, you know, different parts go offline because you're supposed to be running from that tiger that's threatening your life. Right. Um, so that is the B. I'm going to shut up for a second. Thoughts, questions, observations. I mean, that's, the general explanation is pretty new to me. So that's cool. I imagine Mike, you've talked about that a little bit more in depth. No, I've, I've listened. I've, uh, we've been talking about that for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what I mean, the funny thing is, it? yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, in practice, it's so hard. Yeah. So, yeah, what have you learned from it? Yeah. Um, so, I'll, uh, I guess all my examples involve my kid, but uh, I'll give you, like, two. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen uh, Batman Begins? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know when Bruce falls down, so he falls down the well, and his 
dad comes down and says, why do we fall? So we can learn to pick ourselves up. All right. So I used to do that with my daughter when she was little. Um, she would fall down and I would literally just, just say, why do we fall? And I'd let her pick herself back up. And then I'd pick her up and hug her, right? Mm-hmm. And so fast forward many years lately, conversation we had just um, a couple of days ago. Um, she was kind of mad at one of her teachers. Um, like, like her teacher's expecting to the class to do things too quickly and like comparing this class to an earlier class. And it's really bugging her. And so we were, we were talking and I was just kind of listening to what she said. And um, I said, may I make a suggestion? I didn't just flat out like give her advice. And she was like, sure. And um, I said, how about you write her a letter? Or write your teacher a letter. I said, and do it in phases, like write it many times so you can refine it down. And she's like, oh, all right, cool idea. And so um, she started the letter. She showed it to me. And I was like, you know, keep working on it, man. You're doing good. But uh, it really, it helped her and it, it, it gave her some agency in her life and like that she, she had some kind of influence and control on her education. And it really, you know, um, empowered her. She felt really good about it. Um, cool. I love it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to, I forget what movie it is now. Um, I want to say it's Denzel Washington and he's like a secret agent maybe and he's with this young girl and she's at a swim meet this is all weirdly hazy I'm so bad at movies um <laughs> backlash is it backlash I don't remember um but the the overarching thought is you can't tell someone what to do because their internal voice is like screw you shut up Mm-hmm. Um, not because the advice wasn't good, just because they weren't, they didn't ask for it and it's presuming they need it. And our brain doesn't like people telling us we need things. Um, but whereas if you ask permission, may I make a suggestion or, you know, what do you think you should do? I mean, if you, if you want to brainstorm, I'm happy to do that with you, but like, what do you need? Like, what do you need from me and give them some choices around like, do you want to brainstorm solutions? Do you want to just vent? Like, what is it that you need? Um, it allows people to actually ask for what they need in that moment. And, you know, often they don't know because they're not really taught how to figure that out. Um, but, but giving someone agency and letting them ask for help, no one's going to listen unless they've asked, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a big learning there around like just you know, giving someone advice or turning around and trying to help or fix or change someone. Um, it's really not as useful as the intention is, you know. So that's putting a little more detail to like actively listening and being present as opposed to just listening and then waiting your turn to talk. Yeah. I mean, so, so we'll get to active listening in one second. So we'll, we'll do the R next. So R stands for rapport. 
Um, and it's really, I mean, this one's easy. It's really just a fancy way of saying trust. Um, in, so Haas negotiators have a very specific framework for how they communicate. And they're actually not allowed to say, please put down the weapon. They're not allowed to negotiate. They're not allowed to do anything to change a situation until they've built rapport. Hmm. And so it's like until you've bonded, until that person knows that you're on their team and that you're with them, you're not against them, and that you see them, and you're not judging them, they won't actually listen to you or ask for help or allow you in. Um, and so trust is, like trust and safety are a bit different. They're, they seem similar in many realms, um, but you have to build that trust first to feel safe enough to open and whether that's open to suggestion, open to negotiation, open to doing something differently than you are um, or open to advice or help, right? So building rapport is quite possibly the most important thing we can learn to do as humans. And it's not, it's not just like rapport is essentially trust or bonding. It's not, you know, we have a good surface relationship and you know, you're fun, I'm fun. It, it deeper than that, right? Like it's a, we're on the same team. Like she gets me kind of a thing, you know? Um, and so the best way in terms of positive negotiation to build rapport is how they start is by actively listening. Um, and that is exactly what you said. It is not being quiet, waiting for your turn to talk. That is, it is quite the opposite. Um, that's just being quiet, waiting for your turn to talk. That's not actually listening. Mm -hmm. um, listening is so the Chinese character for listen uh, is technically one eye, one ear, one heart. Like that's how it translates essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and so listening happens with more than just your ears. So, so I mean, when you think about it, so often we act like we're listening, but you know, we're doing something else, we're scrolling, we're typing we're looking at something different. You know, someone we love comes home. We don't look at them and say, hi, we keep doing what we're doing and yell hi from the other room. Um, you know, when a colleague is talking and we're all, you know, maybe we're on Zoom together, if our camera's off or if we're looking down or looking at our email, writing an email, but kind of have listening, we don't see, like we miss the most important things, which when you think of a hostage situation, those things become life or death. But sadly, in our day-to-day -day life, when it's not life or death, we don't realize how important it is to see that when that person said hi, they actually felt, they actually looked really down. They're not happy, right? Like when that person was describing, you know, the project plan, there's fear when they were talking about step three, right? So when we miss seeing people say things, and their body language, even if we have, I mean, when you add them up, the words and the tone of voice don't get you to half. They don't get you to half of the intended communication. So we really need to be looking at people when we're listening to them so that we can get all of what they're trying to say. Um, and so active listening is to me a shorthand for like, look at the person, um, you know, we don't realize that our eyes can tell a story. And mm -hmm. that if we're looking at someone 
you know, we have to be looking at them to see what they're saying. But the furtherance of that, I guess we can we can wait until the empathy piece to talk about. But it's so important to know that seeing someone's face, like our our social engagement system is the face to brain connection. And it's so fast. Um, and so we recognize, ooh, you're not okay. I saw I saw something happen on your face just there. Like what what was it? So we can miss those opportunities for building rapport if we're not really seeing the person. I mean, and if you think about it from a hostage negotiation perspective, the moment you see someone feel something, that's the, that's their tell, that's their in, right? So mm-hmm. you need to be looking at their face because it's such a high stress situation. They will give you clues, their face and their body will give you clues if you're looking. Right. So it's, it's crazy that, you know, in really important business meetings in, you know, with the people that we care most about, we don't look. Um, and yet we act like we're listening. So anyway, so that is, that is the active listening piece. Um, Mike, do you want to, have you had any ahas or learnings or moments of like, Oh, I, you know, that, that applies in real life for those. Um, I think so. I've um I've been just trying to like not talk as much. I'm just like, you know, looking at people can be weird for me cuz um I'm kind of blind. Uh, <laughs> so, Wait, I have to what? like uh well, no, I I was okay. I was legally blind until I was like 6. And what? yeah, like my glasses are real strong. And I also had a cataract removed in 2018. So so it's um, looking at people is a conscious effort for me. So is it, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I want, is it a conscious effort because you can't actually see them or because it's somehow awkward because you think they can tell that you can't see them? No, it's not automatic. Uh, yeah, like, so because I spent, like, you know, my, you know, the first six years of my life not really being able to see anybody, I don't think to look at anyone. Uh, I, I listen, I listen, but my ears are like my death perception. Mm-hmm. I, um, I hear how people move. I hear them shift their weight or turn their head. It's weird, but mm-hmm. no, it's not. so. But um, I also love Sherlock Holmes, so I learned to like observe. You know, and so mm-hmm. I kind of start at everyone's feet and look up and take in their entire body, and then um. Like facial expression wise, um, I learned that from books too. Robert Ludlum, mm-hmm. uh, is most famous for The Born Identity. Yeah. Um, he has a lot of cool books, but in one of his cool spy novels, he talked a lot about um, micro expressions and just mm-hmm. like momentary expressions in people's faces. And I've always been really interested in that. 
And so it's just sort of making connections in that way, mm-hmm. which well then comes to the part where I'm kind of worried about like people think I'm studying them. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh. that's funny. Um, well, I mean, people, as long as, I mean, we, we, you know, what's coming about the, the whole, how you're looking at someone thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless you're looking at them in a way that's judgmental, like with your eyes, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're looking at someone in an, you know, open accepting, like with an open accepting gaze, I mean, sure. They might realize you're looking at them, but it's not going to send them into, you know, stress or nervous system overload. It's just going to be like, hey, do I have something on my face? <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> no, I just like looking at you. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is more of a compliment than, you know, I, as long as it's an appropriate person to be saying that to, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. that's not a, that's not a bad thing. It's the, when you're looking at someone, but your, your eyes are squinting, your brow is furrowed and they're like, why are you analyzing? Like, what are you judging? Like, what's wrong with me? And the moment someone thinks what's wrong with me, they're in defensiveness mode and having, you know, a connective generative conversation is really hard, right? So as long as you have control of your face, um, I mean, then again, I shouldn't be saying that because in the context of workplace relations, looking at someone for what is it, more than five seconds is sexual harassment. So like, I, you know, take this in, in turn with your situation and, you know, everything. Just glance. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you might have it best out of all of us. Like, just listen, like, listen for their movements. Like, yeah, you have a spidey sense in your hearing that is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, it's like daredevil. Yeah. 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 Nice. <laughs> that is kind of cool. Um, I, uh, I'll and- say I do legit have radar. Um, I walk into rooms and I'll click I'll go, and I'll get the like size of the room. No and, way. Oh yeah. It's neat. Yeah. What? I feel uh, like you should just be a spy. Like you can fight. <laughs> you have sensory perception in your hearing. Like what? I was never accepted into the spy game. Uh, they never asked. They never drafted me. <laughs> I was... I have asthma and um, uh, I was like underweight, so they wouldn't take me. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, does your kid know that she's like being raised by a wizard? Like this is wild. Like you literally, every time I talk to you, like you come up with, you come out with something else. Like, oh, I know Chinese. Oh, what? <laughs> I know that. And it's like, I, uh, what? How? Uh, like, I- I think it's normal. How much more is in there? Oh, a lot. A lot. Yeah, I know. I'm a very boring person with a very exciting life. I (laughs) would actually disagree with the fact that you're a very boring person. Like, what? No. Okay. (laughs) I'm just going to refute that statement. Well, Um, thank you. There's a lot of life to live. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I guess I should finish brave. So after active listening, if you do it well, um, what might happen, right? Like 
if you actively listen well, the goal is always for the other person to feel heard. And, you know, in the beginning of practicing this, you can actually ask people like, did I do a good job listening? Like, do you feel heard? Can I add, like, can I ask you some more questions? Like, I want you to get it all out kind of a thing. And it might make some people flinch because they're not used to being heard or other people caring if they did a good job listening. Um, but it, it's an, it's interesting when they're like, oh, you, you really care about what I had to say. Wow, that, that's not something I've experienced before. Um, so if someone feels heard, they might show you some type of vulnerability, and that's the V. Um, and I feel like the way that I've described vulnerability has morphed so much because the more, the braver you get, the more you do this practice, the more you start to really recognize that vulnerability is just the sharing of an emotion, but we're constantly feeling emotions. And if you look, you can actually see emotions that we don't typically characterize as vulnerability. Like we think of, you know, I'm sad, I'm scared, I want to cry on your shoulder, can I tell you something, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm upset, right? Um, or like I feel shame or, you know, any of those things. And, you know, then there's the anger, right? And that's a more prickly kind of vulnerability and it's still an emotion, right? Anger is still an emotion. Um, and so when we think about like anger or jealousy or frustration or defensiveness, we don't think about those as being vulnerable, right? We think about those as being aggressive, but it's actually something's happening for you and you're allowing it to come out, right? Like you're, you're displaying a type of vulnerability. It's just not the type that people tend to invite because like, oh, cry on my shoulder. Yes, this will bond us. But the other kind, like any kind of vulnerability, like defensiveness or anger or frustration, that can bond you too. You just need to know what to look for. Um, and so if you think about vulnerability as just the sharing of an emotion, and if someone is sharing something with you, you can keep yourself in a more grounded, like this, it requires control, right? You need to practice this stuff. Um, but if you can keep yourself in the place of, well, you're sharing something with me, that means I've been present, I've built rapport, and I've actively listened well. So you, so we built trust. Like I built trust with you. You're sharing this with me. This is an honor. Let me get curious because something's obviously happening for you. And so it's every time I say, what, you know, what would happen if the next time someone was frustrated or defensive or angry around you, to you, if you were able to say like, wow, this is an honor, like, tell me more. Right? Who does that, right? It's not something that we see on TV and movies at home, like God forbid at home, right? Like it's, it's not the way that we've been raised with when someone's angry, the other person gets defensive. That's just what happens. That's just, what, mm -hmm. you know, that's everywhere. Um, and it's so incorrect and so bad for conversation and for our nervous system. It just leads to shutdown and a fight, right? Um, something that you have to repair from as opposed to, oh, well, that really impacted you. You're showing me vulnerability. It's just the prickly kind. Let me remind myself this is not about me. 
and stay here with you. So what we say in Brave Conversations, what we practice is if someone shares some kind of vulnerability, our only job is to step into empathy, which is the E. And people describe empathy as non-judgment. And my, you know, my, my going phrase is, I, I don't know if, if you're a Buddha or like what, I don't know if, if you cannot judge, call me because <laughs> it's not entirely human to not judge. Um, so reality is when someone becomes vulnerable, we're going to judge it. That's what we're going to do. And in a brave conversation, it's our place to practice putting that judgment on the shelf for the moment so that you can stay there with that person. It's your responsibility to take it, take that judgment off the shelf and, you know, work on it, reflect about it, do whatever you need to do to clear it. But in conversation, if you can just take it, acknowledge it in your head and put it aside so you can stay with that person, your conversations will be so much better than if you met it with some kind of judgment, resistance, you know, a different kind of vulnerability. Um, And then it just becomes, you know, emotions being thrown at other emotions and they tend to spontaneously combust. Um, But you can, I mean, so the way I think of, I don't typically describe it this way. I mean, I I did in the very beginning actually, um, but I think you guys will like this particularly being fighters. I I believe that you can use conversation to disarm people Mm -hmm. and brave essentially was created to use the way you listen as a way to disarm people. Um, and it works and it works. Um, so, so, I mean, that's the entire framework. I I now want to hear all of your thoughts, reflections, (laughs) you know, Rory Miller and the monkey dance. What is it? Rory Miller, like Uh breaking the monkey dance using listening to disarm yeah yeah yeah. wait what i've told you about rory miller and um uh, meditations on violence and conflict communication you need to read both those books wait let me write this down say it one more time okay rory miller rory miller Meditations on violence mm. and his other book, Conflict Communication. Mm. All right, so in, um, in Meditations on Violence, he talks about this. Um, okay, so he was a, a prison guard mm-hmm. and he was in special forces and he's. He's done a lot of crazy stuff, but Mm -hmm. um, he talks about the monkey dance and it's this sort of uh, like, like pre-written pattern of conflict, especially if it's like someone who thinks they're superior to somebody. And so there's like, Mm -hmm. there's like a flow to this. And there's ways to to break the monkey dance to stop it from escalating to violence. And it's real it's real simple stuff. Like, um, I mean, good trash talk will do it, but like, or just like staring in the distance and ignoring them. They'll be like, wait, what? What? Who? Like, you just you you break the rhythm and it throws them off. 
but it's um there's a lot of interesting stuff in those books hmm. oh i can't with, wait to read them with your hostage negotiation background you know a lot about it you'll um you probably know a lot of it i mean the funny part of like I didn't formally learn hostage negotiation with terms and phrases and stories about hostage negotiation. Mm-hmm. My dad knew it because he was in intelligence, but never told me. He just like pointed me in the direction of what to like what to be aware of mm-hmm. and you know what you do for a second and third and what creates what in people. And so it wasn't until I was uh, 30-something, 30, 1, 2, 3, maybe, um, that I met another mentor, and he happened to be a hostage negotiator for 40 years, and he was quizzing me on, like, why there's something different about the way you communicate. Like, you're meant to do this. I, like... I don't understand it. Like we communicate similarly and I've had a very different life than you. <laughs> like this dude had had like scissors in his neck how many times. Right. Um, and finally it came out that my dad was in intelligence and he's like, are you kidding me? Like why, what part of you thought that was not important? And I was like, I don't know. It's just not something I ta- I don't know anything about it. I, it's not like we talked about it. It was just a, you know, a known thing that is a big question mark in the whole of his history. And I wasn't alive for it anyway. So, you know, it didn't seem to matter. And he's like, oh my God, it didn't seem to matter. Everything you learned from that man was along the lines of how to communicate the way we do. And I was like, oh, fancy that. So like, there are things about hostage negotiation. There are things about positive psychology that I would finish people's sentences that were twice my age. And they'd be like, who are you, dude? Like, <laughs> I don't, what do you mean? And I, I, I just looked at them blankly. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Isn't this normal? Doesn't everyone know that? Like my, this is just, this is, these are the conversations we had over coffee at the table. And they were like, nah, you're weird. You're just weird. I don't go away. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't actually, I mean, I do now because I've now studied it, but it's none of it was ever known. It's like you don't know what you know is a we like you usually don't know what you don't know. And I, you know, we all work on that. But like I didn't know what I did know. And I think that was the that was the part of, I don't know, the past decade or so of my life that's been like you're trying to figure out the path you were on without having left yourself any breadcrumbs, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, My, uh, my mom's doing something like that right now. It's very funny. She's um, in a a master gardener club. Ooh. My mom can grow anything. And she learned it from her dad, who was a botanist among other things. And she calls me every week and she's like, oh, this is why grandpa said this. I had no idea. I was doing this. I didn't know. <laughs> she's, she's, finding, she's finding out a lot of new things, but she's finding out like why she knows stuff. It's, it's pretty mm-hmm. funny to watch. Uh, oh, that's really cool. Hmm. That's really cool. 
Are we almost done with the pot, Mike? I think so. It's phenomenal. No. It's good stuff. You're right. It just Yay. goes down so smooth. Right? <laughs> it's easy it's to wild. Drink. Easy yeah. sipper. Easy sipper. Yes, it is wild. So tell me about how have you experienced people's vulnerability differently? Um, I guess more like active listening, but not trying to jump in and fix anything. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the asking permission part, which I've kind of done, but now I consciously do it. Mm. And um, uh, let me think. The um, the six needs, like the, the mm. human needs, that was a that was a big one. I've really been thinking about that a lot. Ooh, tell me more. Um, just identifying them, like in myself and in other people. But um, just kind of knowing, like, simply that they're there. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's opened up, a, opened up a whole new thought process for me. Ooh, I liked it. I like it. I like it. I want to hear more. Uh, um, also, by chance, um, I've been reading, what is it? The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. which I started before we ever talked to you. It's my, oh, right. uh, it's my car book. I, while I'm waiting in the pickup line. I read it. Mm -hmm. So it's a slight cheat sheet. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's been really interesting. Oh. Yeah. I yeah. feel like I need to reread that one again. Yeah, Inter internal family systems is uh, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, what else? There's a couple other things in there that have been really neat that I've been just kind of personally experimenting with. But then to have yeah. sort of brave framework um, kind of guiding all of it to as like mm -hmm. a, you know, as like a key mm -hmm. has been um, yeah, really helpful. It's cool. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, it's weird. Like you, you create something that works for you, but you know, like knowing that everyone is so different. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you, you put it out there and it's like, okay, let's see how this goes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, my hope was that it's, it's this crazy concoction or conglomeration of, all kinds of different things from, you know, IFS to positive psychology, to neuroscience, to hostage negotiation, to like teeny tiny little niches in neuroscience that like nobody talks about, but that I think are wildly important. Um, it's just, so my, my hope is to be able to infuse it with all kinds of different things. I mean, the crazy part is when I came up with Brave, it was, it was more of a, how do I even say this? Like, it just came out of me. Like it just was, it would, they were always called brave conversations. And then I was like, okay, this needs to stand for, th for something because we actually have a process for this. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, so 
I know that there's science behind all these things, but I don't know or remember the names of them, but like, I'm sure of it and found that, I mean, it's all rooted in science. I, I, I knew that going in, it was just, then I went on this fun journey of like finding the actual studies and it's just been a, I don't know when, when you create something and it just flows out of you and then you actually find all the things that back it up. It's like, yeah, no, this is perfect. This actually follows the line of everything that has already been studied. Um, It was just a crazy, I don't know, growth process of how to use it and the nuances of how to use it. And I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still creating new ways to use it. You actually haven't experienced all of them yet. So you will. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. ah, that's cool. It's like um, you learned it in the proper order. You learned it and didn't know you learned it. So you had like mm-hmm. unconscious competence. Mm-hmm. And then you went into conscious competence, right? Mm-hmm. And I always think that's the better way to do it, which is is kind of backwards to where we're educated. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know, for example, me and Mike talk about teaching all the time. I, by the time I started doing like coaching and psychology classes in college, I had been teaching for probably four years. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of the stuff I already knew. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. There's a framework for that. Yeah. Nice. And it made it a lot easier to learn. Yeah. Oh. What? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's interesting. I, part of the, it's so interesting how people just come into your life at the right times. Um, as I was trying to, I'll, I'll say, codify what it was that it started with, like, what gave you confidence? Um, and because I was, you know, because I started a coffee company or I started a business after a pretty traumatic loss, um, people were like, how'd you have the confidence to do that? And it was also kind of at the very beginning of entrepreneurship being a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I don't know, I got lucky. And a girlfriend of mine who actually studied positive psychology with Marty Seligman, with the guy that like created the field, um, she stopped me one day and she's like, sweetheart, I need you to not cop out like that. I was like, what do you mean? I don't know how I got the confidence. I, I genuinely don't know the answer to that. And she's like, right, but you're not doing anybody a service. Like, we're going to study this. Here's, here's what you're going to do. Um, and she's like, what you did in getting through loss was textbook. Like, you had all of these skills. You just didn't know the name of them. And you essentially like had this card in your back pocket that you knew when to play because you grew up hearing principles and like you grew up hearing, you know, it wasn't framed as theory at that point, but you just grew up hearing these truths. And like, so you had, you had all the cards that you needed in your back pocket. And so when you needed them most, you had this awareness of like, okay, now's the time I play this card. And she's like, what you did was textbook. And I was like, textbook, what? I don't even really know what you mean right now. Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you did what I teach our military to do before they go to war. And I was like, I'm sorry, say what? And she's like, you, like you followed 
essentially like mental resilience training, like you followed that path. Like there's PTSD, which is what, you know, the body keeps the score. It's what's, what that's about. Um, and she's like, there's an, there's an opposite to that, that nobody knows about that. If you are building a platform in coffee, you can talk about. And if you're around, you know, if you're teaching young kids in college, I was around a lot of young women entrepreneurs. She's like, you can tell them when you're going through a hard time, you can choose to stay in PTSD. You can choose to let this hard thing shut you down, or you can choose to let that hard thing have all the meaning that it has and let it push you forward like you did. And that's called post-traumatic growth. And she's like, you need, like, you need to give people the right answers because it's like, part of this is why you're here. There's stuff that you knew that you didn't know you knew, but now I'm going to give you names to it so you can go learn more of it. <laughs> um, and, and she's like, but you, like, you know it already. I just need to give you the right names so you can read the right books to call it what it is. Um, but it, yeah, like there's, there's something about having the felt sense of something Mm-hmm. that like it's when it's when it's in your muscle memory because how how much do you remember the stuff you you read in a textbook you don't mm-hmm. and so it's there's something about these skills that once they become muscle memory you can get through almost anything it's not that it's going to be fun the whole time right but um i mean a lot of a lot of conversations are quite hard, um, but you can have them better if you can listen bravely or at least try to, or at least say, or like out yourself and be like, I'm really trying. I'm really struggling. I'm not that good at this yet. Can I try again? Or, you know, can you give me some leniency as I try harder? Because here's what my intention is. Uh, but- So how do you have any like tools for like perhaps helping someone do this or build this framework internally? I mean, practicing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. It's the way that I tend to talk about it is like, it's like learning a language. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. It's what, what it does is it, it changes it helps you become more aware of your the way that you respond to people. And we all have different patterns, but we all have patterns that come from something. Um, and for example, like when someone says something, you get defensive all the time, every time. This person tends to make you defensive, right? And it, society is like, they trigger you, right? So we all have different things that trigger us. And being able to be in that state and be like, well, I'm not okay. What is this? What is this judgment I'm having? Can I put it on the shelf for the moment and stay with that person and really listen and not try and change them and see that their defensiveness is actually vulnerability? How do I get curious right now? How do I walk with them in their shoes, right? Like, how do I stay with them? And, you know, and and then you get to figure out like, okay, why am I so defensive around this? Like, you know, what am I maybe needing? What did I, what is some part of me, maybe younger part of me, maybe whatever part of me, like, what is that? What is some part of me needing that makes me so mad, upset, sad, whatever? 
um, you know, when this happens, what is it reminding me of sort of thing? Um, I mean, th there's not like, I wish there was a pill to be like, take this pill and now you will, it will be easy. Um, it's really just repetition and reminding yourself of each step. And you can usually, if you walk through a conversation that you've had in the past, you can usually figure out that was the moment I shut down. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the way that you will talk about that situation before thinking about brave, you will, you will be able to identify when the other person shut down and not all the time, but often it is right after you did, but you weren't aware of when you did, mm -hmm. but the conversation started in some way. And I mean, and some people, I mean, I've had some people say like, I went into it, shut down. Like I went into it not open for, you know, a collective outcome. I went into it expecting the worst. Mm -hmm. So it can never really evolve much if that's the furthest you've gone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I wish there was a a quick and easy <laughs> thing. That's what I tell people in jujitsu. I'm like, you just got to keep showing up and do the thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. no I mean, is there way. anything... Is there anything that's like, yeah, here's this quick thing. It'll, it'll help you do it. Well, the Unimatic. It's pretty quick with a good <laughs> coffee. I, but, and, and, quicker yes, ways, though, you know? <laughs> yes, thank you. And there are quicker things. That's what I was going to say. There are some people that would be like, that thing's not quick. My boyfriend, for example, he's like, oh, it's my perfect. God, that thing takes forever. And it's like, yeah, but it's worth it. Yeah, but and my response is always, oh. yeah, right? Yeah. You can't screw it up. Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to screw it up. Oh. And it also makes other coffees deliciously. I've been doing non-unomatic coffees in the unomatic. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome. It does. Up a little. Drifts <laughs> <laughs> back out just a little. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it totally does. Mm. Oh, so, so oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I want I want you to go. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, um, ice cubes a genius. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> that is the. That's like the first part of the brave framework, right there. Know how you go in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I don't say any of these out loud during the brave course but I'm constantly thinking of Fight Club, and I'm sorry. <laughs> really? Um, have you ever read that book? I mean, I've seen Fight Club. Okay, read the book, too. Like, that's the narrator's okay. entire journey is to find somebody who really listens. And really? It's like internal family systems. The narrator and Tyler just aren't communicating, and, like, Oh, fun. I have not seen that movie. I've never read the book, but I've not seen the movie in years. Um, so now I have to again. I'm sorry. It's going to mess <laughs> it up for you. but I'm, yeah, I'm ready to put the Brave Framework to movies and cinema. Uh, <laughs> we should. Cool. That'd be cool. <laughs> be a cool study. It would, for sure. But, but yeah, read the book. All and right. You can like, think about it. But yeah, that's 
that's that's the narrator's whole thing. I mean, I haven't read it since high school, so well, it's been a minute. You've read crazy minute. books as a teenager. You are so I've ahead read of your weird time. shit, dude. Holy crap, dude! He's Cheney's the one who introduced me to um, the inner game of tennis, and you read it in high school. I read it in middle school. In middle school. Because I was a fucking head case as a middle school wrestler. <laughs> my coach that's was like, good God, so you need great. help. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so fun. Yeah, so that helped. I got I got interested in that shit pretty early on. I'm trying to figure out when I read it. I think it, was, I think it might have been the end of high school, but it definitely wasn't as young as you. Yeah, it was, I mean, probably like a little too early. For me to digest all of it but i definitely got a lot of it because i was so fucking anxious but <laughs> so wait tell it me helped. what it did for anxiety uh it helps you separate the voices in your head and like which one to listen to and kind of when <clears throat> right uh, and it's been a I while feel like i forget the whole thing yeah it's uh i really kind of enjoyed it from that aspect too because then i was just it was i didn't understand that I even like had anxiety or what it was and mm-hmm. how it affected sports performance or anything like that. So just being able to put words to like, oh, there's an inner self and the, you know, all that. Just being able to put language to that was helpful. Mm-hmm. As so a, it's a middle schooler. As a middle schooler. So how did it how did it come out in sports? Um, let's see. I mean I till this day still grapple and fight people and like I probably could have walked away at any point so <laughs> it turned into my job in life instead of something in the past yeah oh, because I probably because I felt that like something was missing there mm-hmm. and like a coaching sense or mentor sense mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. want to fill that gap perhaps I don't know some sort of weird thing interesting interesting I mean when you're a kid and you have a sport that you care about. I, I don't know. I feel like the, yeah, sports teaches you leadership, confidence, teamwork, you know, all of those wonderful things. I don't know if fighting actually does all that. Um, I don't know, the teamwork part, at least. In um, strange ways. Yeah, in strange ways, I'm sure it does. Um, but I think it also, it, it feels like it also teaches you, like it gives you access to that roller coaster of emotion about something that you contribute to, but that is outside of you, and you get to watch yourself in the highs and the lows. And if you have a coach or a mentor of some sort that helps you work with it and be like, okay, do you realize, you know, how you just dealt with that? Do you want to deal with it that way all the time, or do you want to shift that pattern? Right? Like, it gives you this opportunity to to like, you know, start doing the work on yourself at a super young age. Um, but if you kind of normalize it early, you'll probably get through some of those hard things before they start to have an adverse effect on your life, or at least I'd hope. Yeah, absolutely. So that way that, you know, getting started early kind of turned a frown upside down, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for <clears throat> sure. <laughs> I just read weird fantasy novels, guys. Chronicles um, <laughs> um, uh, of Amber. <laughs> Wild shit. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I love it. All right, well, 
we are about out of time. Yeah. So thanks for thanks for calling in. This time went a lot smoother. Yes. Yes, I know. That was super thanks. cool. Already excited for the next one. I know. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. This is so much fun. You guys are just so great to hang out with. Oh, absolutely. Super easy to talk to. We appreciate it. Of course. All right. Well, um, I will see you on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And awesome. other than that, yeah. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All righty. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, guys. See you too. See you later. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. That's it. Yeah. Keep your coffee regular. Yeah, peace in, everyone.